Let us read the word of God in the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree, There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. We have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favour. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers, every one for the fruit thereof, was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions here hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. May the Lord bless this reading of his own word to us. Now we shall consider this morning, as the Lord is pleased to enable us, the words in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and at verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her uh, beloved? Uh, the Song of Solomon is a, a treasure if you're spiritually minded. 
There are many commentaries, and they're obviously done by carnal minds. They can't seem to find Christ in it at all, or his church. The best commentary on it is actually by James Durham, the Covenanter minister, friend of Rutherford. It's all about the union and communion between Christ and his church. And there are times of delight, also times of desertion uh, in this uh, book. In this passage, the church is pointed out as someone who has been in the wilderness and is now coming up out of the wilderness. And if you remember, this was typified by coming out of Egypt. There they were brought out of bondage, and then they were into the wilderness, and then they came up out of the wilderness into the promised land. But they, like us, are, they were in the wilderness for a long time. And they were subject to all kinds of temptations and trials, sometimes acts of great faith, sometimes acts of great unbelief, sometimes delight in the Lord's provision, and sometimes discontent and complaining against the Lord and against Moses. Even a time of idolatry with a golden calf. We will look at how the church goes through the wilderness here. Not just as the, the corporate church, but as individuals. And now, first of all, who is this person referred to? Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her uh, beloved? Well, it's obviously a person who has come out of bondage into the wilderness, which means that you're on a journey. And if you've been brought out of bondage by the Lord, that path of the journey is mapped out for you in the Word of God. Not just the Ten Commandments, but in, in the Gospel as well. If you look back to the preface to the uh, Ten Commandments, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt. And therefore, having been brought out, the Lord tells them how to live. It wasn't a case of, if you keep the Ten Commandments, I will bring you out of Egypt. They were brought out by the blood of the Lamb. And having been brought out, they were set upon a journey, and the Lord told them how to live as God's people. It sounds like a truism, but you, you cannot live as God's people unless you are God's people. And God's people have been brought out of the bondage of sin and Satan. And this is how they are to, to live. It's not a case of be good and you'll be brought out of bondage. It's you've been brought out of bondage, you're alive from the dead, and this is how you are to, to live. And the motive is not fear and terror. It's as the Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments or as Paul reminds us love is the fulfilling of the law not fear or, or terror but, but love for Christ so they brought out they were given a guide and it wasn't Moses it was the Lord who was with as uh, Stephen says 
He was with the church in the wilderness, Acts 7. The pillar of cloud, the rock that followed them, that was Christ. The rock which followed them was Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So it's not a case of you're brought out of bondage and do what you like, live how you please. This is the way, and you're to, to walk in it. And you're on a journey. And when you're on a journey, things are different every day. Sometimes you, you find it quite easy going. Some days it's hard. Maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you've been ill. And that's all part of the, the journey. The longer you go on the journey, the more you find out about uh, the Lord and his character and also about your own character, uh, especially your, your weaknesses. Now, if you're on a, a, a journey, it's rather like Bunyan's Pilgrim. You, you have your back to the world and you have the Bible in front of you and you're looking ahead. Those in uh, Hebrews 11 of, we read, of whom we read, um, they were on a journey. They were strangers and pilgrims, and they were seeking a better country. But to get through that better country, they had to go through this world. Every Christian would like to just depart as soon as they're converted and be with Christ, which is far better. But no, they have to stay here and struggle on. And there's the perseverance of the saints. Now, we read that we're going through a wilderness. We didn't think this world was a, a wilderness when we were still in bondage in Egypt. We thought it was the only place to be. That there were no other worlds except this world. But when you're brought out, and looking back, you see what this world really is. It's a very dangerous, delusive, and deadly place. But you don't see that until you start the journey out of this world. And then you see how God describes this world, and you believe it. The whole world lies in wickedness, First John, or Galatians 1. We're delivered out of this present evil world. But you try telling that to other people nowadays. That this world is a world of darkness. That the prince of this world has a, a power here. He deludes people, darkens their minds, hardens them against Christ and the gospel. No, they would actually think there's something wrong with us. They'd be asking us, why do you want to leave this world, all this stuff about heaven? Because we know the reality. God has revealed it. This is not a place to settle down in. The Lord said, this is not your rest. Here we have no continuing city. So you're, you're in motion. You're moving. You're getting through this world, praying for strength, and moving on each day as best you can. But there's one thing you're sure of. You're not going back to what you were before. You are definitely moving on. We're not to be like Lot's uh, wife, turning back to see where we came from and thinking this was a better country, the one we left. Like the children in the wilderness, 
the cucumbers tasted better in Egypt, that kind of thing. No, we know this place, if we'd remained blind and deluded, we would have died with the world. We would have died in our sins. But now we seek a better country. And those who are seeking that better country, we read, these all died in faith. They saw the fulfillment of the promises ahead of them and they, in a sense, ran towards it to realize all the promises. There are some promises we've not yet experienced in this world, but we will as we progress to the next stage of of the journey. So it's a wilderness here. It's barren. Nothing lives here. Spiritually, nothing lives here. You have to come out of the world spiritually. You have to be a citizen, not of earth, but of heaven, in order to live here and to get through it. But if you are living, well, you're battling with death. You're battling with those who do not see what what you see. Oh, they they mock and they say, oh, so-and-so saw the light. Well, not entirely, but we do have the light to see what's lying ahead of us. These people don't. As the Lord said, the blind lead the blind, and both of them fall into the ditch. There are some people, of course, who start out with us, like pliable, but they don't go very far because the, the journey gets harder as you go on. Notice it's coming up from the wilderness. You start going up, things get difficult. This is a dark place. The devil roams in this place. Our adversary, the devil. Sometimes he sends his fallen angels to attack us. Sometimes he comes himself. And that's like Apollyon straddling the way for the the Christian pilgrim. And that really is a, a fight with Goliath. Most people seek their happiness here in the wilderness. Strange. But it's the only world, remember, they ever knew. Young people are are born into this world. All they see is this world. How can I get on in this world? How can I earn more money in this world? How can I achieve things and rise up in this world? It's all about this world, you see. But once their eyes are opened to another world, this world loses its value. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And as Rutherford said, my heart is not my own. He has run away to heaven with it. And you follow your heart, which is with Christ. Most are looking for happiness here and trying every door, and it will never be found here. It's just one disappointment after another until eventually they all die in despair. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without God in the world and without hope. But they'll try to make the best happiness they can in this world. And it's very sad. Grasping at bubbles. Sand going through their fingers then that's a disappointment, so they move on to the next one. 
And they're looking for happiness in all the places where God never put it. The media put it in certain places, but God never put it in any person except Christ. But the world is full of idols. It's interesting, that's the last word of um, John's epistle. To beware of idols. Things that take away your attention from Christ. And there's a lot, even you might say, in the visible church, which can take away your attention from the living Christ. Remember, your salvation is a relationship with Christ, not the church. The church is always secondary to Christ. You you serve the Lord. As part of that, you may serve the church. But when the one contradicts the other, you serve the Lord. And remember, no minister is are infallible either. Ministers are not infallible. You, you serve the Lord. What's wrong with the world then? That they enjoy this wilderness. Well, again, it's like Pilgrim's Progress. There's a man with a rake, and he's raking the ground, and there's a crown above his head, and he never looks up. He never looks away from this world. But to look up, looking unto Jesus, look unto me and be ye saved. But as long as we're looking down at the world, then we're not going to look anywhere else. And only the Lord can break that train of thought and shift our focus. So this is where we are. We're out of bondage. We're in the wilderness. And we're coming up day by day. Now, secondly, look at the posture here of the pilgrim. Leaning upon her beloved. Leaning is a sign of weakness. You don't lean on anybody if you feel strong enough. And there are people leaning on the wrong things. To lean in the original language means to trust They're both put together in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to your own understanding. Trust, lean, you see. Same idea. If you're weak, you lean. Spiritually, if you feel your weakness, you pray. The more you feel your weakness, the more you will pray. If you think you have the strength to go out as at other times, well, like Samson, you won't bother praying. Or like Peter, that he could do all this better than the disciples. We don't read that he prayed either. No, we read that he followed afar off. But prayer keeps you close to God. And it's a reminder, even in your posture, whether it's uh, kneeling or standing with your head bowed or like Solomon, empty hands, it's a sign of your weakness and that you need to lean. But lean on anybody except Christ, as Isaiah reminds us, you're leaning on a stick that's going to break and go right through your shoulder. And that's what Egypt was. And Egypt, of course, was a symbol of of this world. Now, you won't lean on someone unless you believe that he can bear your weight. And the believer is persuaded 
like Paul, that he's able to keep what you cast upon him for his keeping, and that's yourself. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and cast yourself with it. Some people have the prayer to cast their burden, but it's as if by their actions they take it back. Cast yourself upon the Lord as sufficient to, to bear all your burden. Spurgeon talks of a man who was carrying a burden, a large sack at the roadside. And a man came along with a cart, cart and horse in those days. And he took pity on him and he said, just sit on the back here of the cart. So the man got up and the cart man, he, he drove off. After a little while, he, he looked around and Yes, the man was on the cart, but he was still with the sack over his back. So you see, it was pointless. He was still carrying the sack. And many Christians pray, and they cast it upon the Lord, and then all that day, they're actually trying to get it back somehow. Whereas if they've cast it upon the Lord, is that not enough? Do we not trust him? Is he not sufficient? Having cast it upon him, is there now something I have to do as well? Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Or as Peter said, casting all your cares, your anxieties upon him, for he careth for you. The children in the wilderness were guilty of that as well. They prayed, they got what they prayed for, and then they were discontented again. Paul reminds us, my God is able to supply all your needs. Not just the big ones. All your needs. Just to get through the day. Maybe even your need to control your temper or something. Which is not exactly attacking, attacking or resisting the devil. But nevertheless, it is a need. And we tend to forget the little things of our characters. So you don't lean on someone unless you're persuaded that he can bear your weight. In other words, you trust him because you are casting yourself upon him. And faith doesn't want to hold anything back. There should be no reservations in, in faith. The trouble is with us, we tend to look for help everywhere except from the Lord. First, that is. Um, there's a story of a woman and she was in trouble. And then she went to this and she went to that and then she went to the other. Couldn't find any help. So she said to her family, oh, well, we'll just have to trust in the Lord. Should have been the very first place she went to, of course. Who is this weakness, leaning, trusting? Do you recognize the character? Is it your own character? Because remember, this is the only way you're going to come up out of the wilderness. It's only this character that came up, not any other character. We do have a strength of nature. There are times when we're tempted to think, I'm doing very well. 
good past experience, no difficulties, you're not so much in prayer then, are you? Because you feel strong. But many a person has trusted in their past experience and that things were going along peacefully and forgot to watch and pray. And so they entered into a, a temptation and they weren't ready for it. Only the strength of grace is superior to the strength of nature. Only the power of Christ is superior to the power of, of sin. And if we really believe that, well, we would hardly be off our knees because of our sense of weakness. But when we are weak, then we are strong, says the apostle, because then we're not looking at ourselves or our past history. We're looking at the author of life, one who's able to save to the uttermost, who says he is mighty to save. As we go on leaning with all our weakness and problems and difficulties, we're, we're seeing others and they seem to have no problems in life. And that means they're not going up, they're going down. Because as you are progressing in, in the Christian life, you will become more and more aware of your weakness. Until literally at the point of death, you have no strength at all. But because you've cast yourself upon him to get across the great divide between this world and the next, you will be comforted. You have, in a sense, as Rutherford put it, rehearsed your death. You have anticipated. You have cast yourself to lean upon him, no reserve, and you're persuaded. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's comfort, for thou art with me. You see, he has to be, he has to be with you to, to lean upon in the first place. And for the unconverted person, that means you have to come to him in faith in order to lean upon him. You don't lean at a distance afar off. The Lord says, come unto me, take my yoke upon you. Then you'll find rest for your soul. You can rest your soul, lean upon him, but not unless you come to him for peace and rest and comfort. And that means you have to be convicted of your weakness, that you cannot get through this world or into the next on your own and that you're not going to have an equal partnership here you must in weakness lean upon him otherwise you will never get up out of this wilderness you'll die in it it's because we have a sense of sin and misery here and conviction that we don't want to die in the wilderness, it's because of that we stretch forward. As Paul says, the hands of faith stretching forward, like the, the runner stretching forward, or, or the soldier battling forward until he can get the armor off and, and rest. And that's the, the character of the person who's on this journey. 
they are fleeing from what's behind them. That's not just the world, that's their past history as well. And the devil, like he did to Bunyan's pilgrim, will try to remind you of that. How can you possibly be be uh, fit to get to heaven with your character, your past? And he said, even on the journey you gave in to temptations and that kind of thing. But he was looking beyond the pilgrim. He wasn't looking back. There's no comfort there. He was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise. Heaven is populated with unfit sinners. But they all trusted themselves to Christ. And that's why they're there. We're going up. That sense of weakness will be deepened. But we need to be upheld and we're persuaded that he can uphold us. Sometimes we don't feel we're being upheld, but that's two different things, remember. What you feel and what Christ does in you and for you are two different things. And let us not mix them up here. Sometimes faith has to go by faith alone, and not by sight and not by feeling, and not by kind providences or friendly environments. Sometimes it has to go through darkness, but it still journeys on because Christ upholds those who believe. Who is this? Well, God marks them, but the world marks them as well. They're, they're different. They're strange. They're certainly a, a minority. They reject the world's wisdom as the Lord Jesus said, the, the children that God the Father has given to him are set for signs and wonders in this world. Who is this? They're obviously distinct from the rest. They can be pointed out. Not that we go out into this world to seek attention, but your very lifestyle and preferences and priorities and... Uh, a bit like at Vanity Fair, you remember, was it hopeful? His, his eyes were beyond the fair. And they couldn't understand this. Why are you not looking at all these things we have for you to buy? He was looking beyond the fair, beyond this world. And they were angry. They were angry at that. We see others and they're not looking forward. They're not going forward. They love the world. And they don't love those who criticize the world. And it's media. For all our technical advances, we have regressed morally in a very bad way. But the world won't accept that either. Is this your experience also? You're, you're marked out. You're not looking for attention, but because of your gaze, where you're going to, the fact that you're in motion, you're living in, in tents like pilgrims, the world looks at you in a strange way. Well, Christ doesn't. And the love of Christ is superior to the love of the world any day. Is he your beloved? Well, despite all your imperfections, that does not change his love for you, remember. 
All the people in heaven are sinners. Only Christ is the sinless one. They were all guilty of failure, imperfections, stumbling, looking the wrong way, saying the wrong things, and yet there they are. The spirits of just men made perfect. It's not a sinless journey, it's a fight against sin. Sometimes it's a fight against sinners. But the greatest opposition comes from within your own heart, remember. Uh, the flesh the flesh likes the world. But the spirit takes us to gaze on another world. And the beauty of that other world. If you see the beauty of the creator in this world, then think what must be the beauty of the redeemer in the next world. I think it was Augustine said that. Has your experience been this way? Was it a case of come ye out from among them? Be ye separate. And to follow Christ means a separation from the world. You're going in two different directions now. You're fighting the current. You're fighting the opposition. Especially all the wisdom of this world with all its so-called philosophies and religious advances, etc., the word of God was given 2,000 years ago. God isn't going to change what he said. This is our textbook. This is our map. And we have a faithful translation here in the pulpit and in your own hands. The next point is, this is not a common experience. Who is this? This person stands out stands out because of grace. Paul says to the Corinthians, who is it that made you to differ? Who turned you so you're going in a different direction now towards heaven? What have you that you've not received? The, the new heart, the new lifestyle, the new country, the new love for Christ. You've all received this. Who is this? This is not a common experience. The fact that you trust Christ for everything and you can't even see him with your eyes, that's not a common experience. This awareness you have of God in the world and in your own life, it's not a common experience. Who is this? And remember, it's not just the world saying that, it's the Lord saying that. It's the Lord who says, who is this? He knows them. And the world knows them as well. They see him and they honour him by their trust. They glorify him for his sufficiency. And the love which he has for them and they have for him is of an unchangeable kind. The world's love changes. This love that Christ has for his people, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, our love for him is not infinite. And it's not as constant uh, as his. But it's unchangeable. We can't lose it. Why? Because the Spirit abides in the new heart to give it. And he's not going to leave. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peter was asked, lovest thou me? Because that is the great question. If you love him, you'll follow him, you'll want to be with him. And you'll reject or resist any temptation to inferior loves. But this love, it will receive temptations. It will receive wounds. Not from him, but from others or even from yourself. But this love has no reservations. He is the beloved. That's how the Father knows him and that's how we know him. And remember the Apostle John, he he leaned upon Christ's bosom at the Lord's table. He was leaning there. And Christ, Christ didn't reject that. He, he welcomed that. This man received sinners. And that word receive means he takes hold of them. He embraces them. Harlots, lepers, publicans, all of them. And the world can't see that. Christianity is the only religion that depends on grace and not merit or, or works. The Lord said if anybody does not love him, they're to be anathema maranatha. That means accursed. Anybody who loves this world, you see, loves what's accursed by God. And they partake of that curse if they do not love Christ. Now, to conclude with a, a few practicalities here. John leaned on Christ. And if you're leaning on Christ, then you will have the same description as the Lord gave to John the disciple whom Jesus loved. You're leaning on the beloved. That means you are a disciple whom Jesus loves. Secondly, a journey is day by day, hour by hour. And in the morning, we have to remember to lean and not go out into the world without prayer or in contact, communication with the only person who can hold us up that day. And so we should remember every morning prayer. Some people in the Bible had set times, morning, noon, evening, Daniel three times a day, but especially in the morning. Our, our first thoughts as we awake should be of Christ. He wakens my ear morning by morning, says the, the prophet. Look also that that's coming up is constant. We are leaning. Uh, it's actually a, a participle in the original. It's leaning constantly, continually. The temptation is not to. And to try to do things in our own strength. We think, well, this is, this is not a great thing. I don't need to pray about this. But, but you do. It's actually the little things in life that occasion the great changes in, in life. Things that we think are little and maybe came 
years uh, down the line and we look back and we can see that this actually was a result of that little thing three years ago that, that hinge which changed our, our way or something like that we must beware of as said Samson I shall go out as at other times do not rest on your past progress your past prosperity even your past peace things can change very quickly and if you're near to him you will not suffer in that change as much as if you were far away from him trust him with all your weight and all your cares he commands you to do this cast thy burden upon the Lord that's not an option remember Casting all your cares upon him, that's not an option either. That, that's a command. It's good to be commanded what we don't think about sometimes because we know that this is the right thing to do. It's good when we come to Scripture and see all these commands because we know it's safe and we know it's the right way, thing to do. But remember, you have to come near in the first place to lean upon him. Trust brings you to Christ faith shows your own weakness but it shows his strength at the same time some days you may struggle struggle to get through a day but remember you do have a good shepherd the Bible tells you in Psalm 23 he will take you over the last difficulty which is death and that means he'll be with you all the way up till death as well. And uh, he is the beloved. But if you're leaning on him, you're a beloved as well. Remember Benjamin, the beloved of the Lord, shall dwell safely. Where? Between the shoulders of the shepherd. Leaning on the beloved. He carries us. All we need is weakness to cast ourselves upon Christ and the everlasting arms well they will catch you and they will bring you home may he bless his word to us let us pray thou Lord alone art our life our hope our confidence we pray for more power of thy spirit in our own lives to subdue iniquity, to increase conformity to Christ Jesus. We pray for all those who are yet afar off, that thou would bring them near, near through faith in the blood of Christ, that they might be taught how to walk, and how to lean, and look forward when we shall see the one upon whom we leaned to get to heaven. In Christ Jesus' name we thank thee. Amen. We shall conclude singing in Psalm 73 at verse 23. 73 at verse 23. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. 
thou dost me hold by my right hand and still upholdest me. Psalm 73, verse 23 to 26. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Never the at 6.30 and the elders will meet for a few moments after the benediction in the library. Let us conclude. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.